Welcome to the Creators on Comics podcast. This podcast is a conversation between two creators, dissecting the craft and technique that goes into creating comics. This episode features two cartoonists who placed first and second in this year's Platform Comics 10K competition. Hannah England, who won with her comic 35 years, is our first return guest to this podcast. And Chris Gomez was the runner-up to the competition with his comic, All That's Left. Here's their conversation. I'm Hannah England, and I am the author and illustrator of 35 Years. Um, This is actually the second time that I've one for the um, platform comics contest which is pretty exciting um, i'm excited to be here on the podcast again um my name is chris gomez i am the artist and writer of all that's left the runner up for 2022's uh, 10k challenge for platform comics and this is actually my third time entering but um the first time i've ever placed well congrats that's exciting thanks appreciate it it was a lot of fun i think <laughs> Surprisingly, uh, it seems like it'd be a lot of high pressure, but it, it wasn't, I think. I don't know. Uh, it is your second time you said winning, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm still in shock about that, especially after seeing yours and, you know, a couple of the other pieces in here, how well everything was put together. I think something that I was um, worried about through the entire process was the fact that I planned to make it black and white rather than doing it in color because I... I had a limited amount of time, so I sort of decided, you know, to serve certain things. I had to give up certain other things. So you, so you did the um, the writing and the illustrations for yours, right? Yep. Uh, you must have really like spent your time well to get all the coloring and everything done for it because it looks great. Oh, thanks. Uh, I really appreciate that. And I mean, yours looks great too. I love. I always love like that black and white kind of old school slash manga look. Um, yeah. <laughs> yours looks great. The tones are fantastic. And, you know, but, you know, it's one of those things where it feels like I didn't take as much time as I could have or I should have. I, I'm just, I've, I've been an illustrator since, I don't know, since I was in high school. And so I, and I, I work on Procreate and I, um, I draw very quickly naturally. So like, it's one of those things where it's gone to the point where I just, I work really, really fast. Um, nice. So, uh, yeah, well, it's, it's helpful for sure when you're drumming up like, you know, freelance work. But uh, it's what just, I mean, this took me, I think I only used five days to do it out of the seven. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's because the first two days I was busy with my day job. And so I couldn't really like dedicate time to it. So I used those days to just write it and do the layouts. And then I just spent the following five days drawing and coloring it. Um, and that's the fantastic thing about the modern age of like cartoon comics and cartooning is that we can just like kind of work on the go. I, I mean, I live in New York City. I don't know where you live, actually, Anna. I'm in Central Virginia area, so it's not quite as uh, fast paced. But <laughs> <laughs> No, no, that's I mean, it's great. I, I dream of one day moving out of the city and not having to like <laughs> deal with everything all the time. Yeah. But, yeah, I, don't know. I, I spend my mornings like on the way to work, drawing on the subway, you know, and then drawing while I'm at work on break and drawing when I get home, you know. So I spend the majority of my time working on comics and illustration. And, you know, I, I, my day job is pretty demanding as well. I'm the, I'm the arts program coordinator for the Bronx Children's Museum. So I run the art. Oh, program. nice. Thanks. 
and I run the art flow ring out of there. And so it's like, I have a lot of time to think about art and stuff. Um, and so this, this challenge was like really fun because it's been a while since I've like really challenged myself to, you know, come up with new ways to, uh, to create. But uh, how how did you how did you handle it? I mean, you said you had limited limited time this year. I, I mean, know. it's it's limited time anyway. <laughs> you yeah. only have the seven days. I did something kind of similar to you, where I spent the first couple of days coming up with the story, and then I worked on the um, the thumbnails so that I could make sure I could figure out the story beats and work out on the issues before I committed to really drawing the final artwork. And then I did spend, like you, five days working on the artwork itself and just trying to make sure that everything that I had planned for the story got done so that I wasn't, you know, getting to the last day and then realizing I don't have time, I have to rush through things. So the, the time planning for any sort of time-based challenges like this is always interesting. I know, like, as I was working on it, the thumbnails did help a lot with keeping me on track, but near the end, I did get a little bit, um, I think as I was, as I was going through it, I realized I needed more, um, space in sort of the last section to get the character from one state of mind to a different state of mind. And so I actually added the page. So as I was wondering with yours, did you have it completely figured out at the beginning or did you have any weird changes in the middle or how did that process go um yeah for me i kind of i spend a lot of time in the like thumbnail step like a really lot a lot of time. i consider it like kind of for at least for me it's the hardest stuff of making comics oh like, i agree <laughs> and i feel like a lot of a lot of artists um would agree i mean it's one of those things where we all we've been drawing for years all of us and we, we, th we think about drawing and painting and illustrating all the time. And so when it gets down to business and gets down to like creating a comic, the, the imagining it and coming up with the storylines, getting a plot point across in a, a set amount of time, that's the challenge. The drawing is just a, a, a matter of man hours. You can draw at something, right? Like and this will take 10 hours. This will take 12 hours. But it's like once that story's down, then you're really into it, right? You're yeah. Um, and so, yeah, for me, I laid it all out like, panel by panel I, I'm really bad at writing I would say in terms of like I, when I say that I don't mean I don't think my the quality of my writing is low I think that I'm that I have bad habits in which I'll like mm. I'll, lay, I'll, I'll thumbnail a comic and I won't write dialogue uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just like I'll do it like um I'll do it like one man Marvel style where I'll just like I'll look at the picture yeah. they'd say this right and I'll write that in later and like which is not the best habit I know um a few of my teachers from art school would be very upset with me if I told them I, I was still doing that years later, um, writing in this way. But how about you? Did you were, how, how stringent are you in your layouts? Are you really tight with them with like dialogue put in already and and every single um, shot? I actually, I kind of write the dialogue first because I'm really interested in how characters interact with each other or even how they just, you know, interact with themselves. How does their inner dialogue work? Um, and so my challenge is trying to make sure that the pages that I draw can fit all the dialogue that I want to put into them. I got some, I mean, I've, I've never published a novel or anything like that, but I've written a lot growing up ever since I was a kid. I would write short stories, long stories. And so I think prose comes somewhat naturally to me. So when I have to use writing and then put it next to imagery, 
um, whichever one I start off with tends to sort of take the strongest precedence. And so I have to be careful to kind of balance them. I know with this one, I would sort of write the dialogue and then I would sort of draw geometric shapes onto the page and sort of come up with the overall look of the entire page rather than trying to think separately about how the dialogue is going to fit into, you know, this goes into this panel and this goes into the other panel and this goes into the next panel and things like that. And I think that helped. Um, it's not really something I've done much before, like thinking about what does the whole page look like before I think about what the individual panels look like. So I, I want to do that more going forward because I think it helped. It helped me in the way that I think. I think right. because I had like an overall, I don't know what to call it, an overall, um, like a bucket to put the pieces into. It's kind of, it's a little bit more like, like carving stone. You start off with the page and then you make like a big chunk because you're just sort of getting the basic shape and then you go down into tinier and tinier chunks till you get to all the little details and stuff. <laughs> and that worked well for my process. So I discovered something here. <laughs> I totally understand what you're saying, right? Where you're kind of like doing things in a subtractive way where you're, you're kind of, mm -hmm. you're looking at this mass, this, this, this like empty composition, you're hoping to kind of uh, control what the viewers are looking at at a given moment, and you're looking at the whole page as one composition, which I think works really well in your comic. I'm, I'm enjoying the dynamicism of certainly some of these pages, especially your, uh, let's say, third page here. I'm looking at the comic while we speak, by the way, so that's why I'm... <laughs> I have mine on the side too. I'm scrolling, <laughs> scrolling <laughs> through. <laughs> yeah, no, I love this little page. I'm usually not a big fan of like symmetrical pages. Mm -hmm. This, I think, this works because it's not strictly symmetrical, right? But uh, you would say the overall composition is very, um, it's very balanced, and mm -hmm. I kind of dig it because Thank because you. it works in contrast. You're welcome. It works in contrast with the other pages, right? Where like, uh, if you're looking at your fifth page. Uh, and viewers should be following along. <laughs> um, you'll see that, again, it's almost symmetrical. It's kind of giving you, but it's guiding the reader across, right? And it's super, uh, it's interesting. I, I dig it, especially it kind of works thematically against your whole, like, the last panel, which is literally about imbalance, right? Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's a scale. And so that's really cool. And uh, when I'm thinking about compositions in terms of pages, I'm really... I would say that, yeah, I, I, I try to at my hardest to like kind of incorporate uh, dynamic angles and shots, but I, I, I shoot like you, one of my biggest challenges is fitting all the dialogue I want on a page. Like I, yeah. I want <laughs> things. And I, I mean, if, if, we, if we can do some inside baseball for a second, um, like I, when you, when you place in the platform comics a competition, they send you critique on your work. At least they did for me. And, and the yeah, one- yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they told, they told you, but the one critique I got um, was the one thing I worried about. I was like, I think I was over, at some points I over-explained certain concepts. I was like, you know what? <laughs> I did it one or two panels and like, they called me out like, hey, that, you know, this was a great story. It was subtle, but on one or two places, we felt you over-explained. You could have let the imagery um, tell the story more, you know, carry more of the weight of the story. And I was like, you know, you're right. I, I totally agree with that. I said that to myself while I was writing, I was like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm over explaining in this moment. And um, going forward, I'm going to definitely like kind of pull back on my dialogue a touch. I think for a short story, especially, it can get dangerous and you don't explain enough. Viewers can be left unsatisfied. Like, oh, well, it looked kind of cool, but that story wasn't a complete, you know, A to B thing. I felt like I missed the thing. And I don't want that. I don't want readers to feel that way. So I need to 
there's that balance you have to strike, right? Where you don't want to overexplain, you want to trust your viewer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I feel like your comic did that. And it was very, uh, your comic definitely touched a lot on like emotions we all kind of are familiar with. And that's unfortunately, think, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that, well, that's what art's all about. I mean, you try to kind of, you try to communicate an idea to somebody, right? And that's, um, I think, I think a lot, all the winners and all the people in the anthology did that, where they kind of, communicated these ideas and that's the best part about art when someone reads your story and they get it and you, you feel like you feel as if you did your job like oh they understood what I was trying to say and you know yours was great I, I, I definitely kind of I'm right there with you a lot of times like career shifts um, and things like when I was younger I wanted to be a, a, computer, a computer scientist and now mm -hmm. cartoonist which is like such an interesting shift right yeah <laughs> But yeah, but I think it, it's great. And I, I'm looking at your comic right now. It's um, it's just you use a lot of symbology. Is, is that something you did on purpose? I obviously look. Yeah, through. I enjoy like I used to sort of be into Egyptian history and mythologies when I was a kid. Mm. So I was coming into this with a little bit of you know residual knowledge from when I was younger, kind of remembering what different things were like canopic jars and onks and things. So I looked up um, references for different things, but I already had some of that icon iconography in my head, different meanings of different Egyptian symbols and shapes and artifacts. And so that was, that was very helpful. <laughs> I think if I had gotten a prompt about some other countries I would have been like oh no I don't know anything what am I gonna do but you know I can I can work with Egypt mythology <laughs> yeah I like putting symbolism into things I tried to do a lot of um it's interesting that you mentioned the symmetry of some of the pages because I was sort of playing with the duality of these two characters of the like unnamed female protagonist and uh Amenhotep the first and how the parallels and differences in their lives are sort of functioning. And so I wanted to have more symmetrical pages on pages where they were sort of being compared directly and then less symmetrical pages on pages where they were sort of separated a little bit or where the girl was sort of going off in a tangential thought or doing something else. Just lots of, lots of little um, things hidden in the background. And <laughs> No, I, 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 that's something I, I always look out for because I, uh, I don't know about you, but I, uh, mm -hmm. I, I attended art school, the School of Visual Arts, mm -hmm. and a lot of my, one of my classmates who have moved on to big, bigger and brighter things, uh, they, we all had to have a hiding thing in our comics are just for us. Like, this is just for me. It's not for the reader. And if the reader finds it, like, that's great. They'll, they'll get a little, a little taste of, like, this whole other world. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but, you know, like, I, there's so many things you put on our comics that we, we don't even think other people will notice. Like, the fact that, you know, you created this comic where the pages in which the characters are being compared are more symmetrical than the other ones. That's a, uh, that's a detail that many people won't even, will never realize in this comic, you know? Like, even if they read it 10 times straight, they would probably not even understand that. Or I had a friend, um, Maggie Scarlett Breen, who's an artist, uh, an illustrator in New York, that, and she uh, would hide little, like, she wrote, she drew a lot of ghost stories and she would hide more oh. like, <laughs> things in the backgrounds. Like, uh, 
for example, there'd be like maybe little dolls in the background. Every other panel, they'd be in different positions, but they're so subtle Ooh. that you didn't notice. And yeah. Oh, that's spooky. It's fun, right? These things are like really fun and they kind of speak to a much larger world and uh, that we kind of create in our own heads when we create these comics. Uh, like, I, I mean, for my comic, my I had post-apocalyptic love story. That was my prompt. And so in my comic, I don't try, I don't really get into a lot of specifics as to why it's a post-apocalyptic world. I don't, well, I don't think that's really important, honestly. Um, yeah. I, I think it's much more important to, to see where the characters are like years after and how kind of they're all trying to survive. But in my head, I have like a lot of ideas as to why this happened. How could it have happened? Where, I mean, there's probably a bunch of stories I can write in this like little mini world I made, but I'll probably never come back to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a nice thing about certain types of, genres is that we can come into them with sort of assumptions already made so in the first panel I could tell you know or not the first panel necessarily but the first page I could tell okay something is very wrong with the world that this character is living in and then of course you see that there's it's a very post-apocalyptic place so whether it was you know a, a terrible financial crisis or disease or aliens or zombies or whatever has happened doesn't matter as much as just the fact that we know this character has been through something really terrible and is continuing to go through it and is having to scrounge and find his way around so it's it works not having to have the entire explanation i think there's 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 certain genres where it works which is nice because you can just get straight into the story you don't necessarily have to explain what has happened up till now. All that matters is what's happening in this moment. Right, right. I, I totally, I'm right there with you. Um, that reminds me of some advice a, a writing teacher gave me once. I, try, I always try to write with this in mind. Um, you should always start your scene as late as possible mm. and end it as early as possible. So I have a lot of friends who are writers as well, and they'll be writing. And I'm like, do you need this like sentence in the beginning? Do you, do you need it? Because if you can eliminate it, this could create kind of a mystique to the story or like maybe you don't need to, it, again, it comes back to what I was saying, like where I think that I over-explain things. I try to use as many tips and tidbits I can use, like not following those traps anymore. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's good. That's a good piece of advice. I like that. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what I used for, when I wrote this comic, I made myself like, okay, what's the, what's the latest I can start this comic? Like what's the absolute latest moment? And, and, and still make it work. And so I chose like right before the, uh, I guess the climax of a much longer story, which is, um, mm -hmm. I think I think worked at least in this, I mean, I, I hope it worked, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I think it did. Cause it definitely, I, I like that in the last page, there is an emotional payoff and you kind of go, oh, like I see, I see what's happening here, but it feels, it feels both like you could continue and tell us more, but also you have ended it with a complete thought, which I think is really important for short stories. It's, it doesn't feel like you just ended a scene and still have more to say. It feels like you ended a story and there could be a sequel. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely the goal. And a lot of the comics I read are kind of, I love short stories in general, like in prose. I love the Ray Bradbury. I love a lot of old sci-fi. I love mm -hmm. um, Kurt Vonnegut. You know, I'm really into that kind of stuff. And I think when I write my comics, that's kind of like the inspiration I take, at least from the literary side. I yeah. Inspirations. Um, and in terms of like drawing, well, not drawing, but at least 
visual storytelling, I kind of lean more towards like classic, like 60s comics and stuff. And, mm -hmm. and I'm, look, I'm thinking more modern, like Chris Ware and stuff and things like that. But while I was looking at your comic, and I, I was definitely wondering like, who do, you, who do you take inspiration from visually? Like, who do you like to read when you read comics? Uh, the funny thing is I don't read that many comics. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I like to consume a lot of different mediums. So storytelling that comes from prose or from comics or from video games or all these other things are things that I, I enjoy. So I sort of split my entertainment time between all these different things, which I like because they all kind of, because of the constraints of, of whatever that storytelling medium is, have to kind of tell stories differently which is why I find, say, movie adaptations interesting. Um, adaptations of any kind, you know, a comic adaptation of a movie, a movie adaptation of a novel, you can't do them exactly the same way. In novels, you can, you can see into the character's mind in a way that you can't in a film, which is why I think uh, like Katniss Everdeen from uh, Hunger Games is much more emotive in the movies because in the novels, she can be completely stony faced because we as the readers can see inside her head and see, oh, she's not showing her emotions, but she's feeling things and she's thinking things and she's very much having all these reactions inside. In the movie, you can't do that. You have to show them on her face. I can say that like my comics and the stories that I come up with are inspired by a lot of things, but they're not necessarily always other comics. And I kind of like it that way. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I think learning learning a bunch of learning from a bunch of different media media is important to create a like well-rounded artist. Mm -hmm. At least in this day and age, where like you can't, it's too the world is too small uh, to just stick to one thing because eventually it'll become stale. Um, and like to, to draw from all kinds of art will create like a much richer experience, even from the creative side and definitely from the reading side. Right, you read these comics and you're like wow, I've never read something like this before. She must have been inspired from like 50 different things. And um, <laughs> that's really cool. I mean, it's really awesome. That is true. But what you said about Katniss reminded me of another kind of example like that in terms of a character. Mm -hmm. in um, have you ever seen uh, Scott Pilgrim, the movie Scott Pilgrim versus the World? Yeah, yeah. I read some of the comic a bit, not the whole story, but I think the first couple of volumes of it, like way back when it came out. Um, and then, yeah, I saw the movie somewhat recently. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, obviously, Edgar Wright is a fantastic director and editor. So, like, the movie kind of really does capture a lot of the fun of the books. But I Yeah, it still has a very comic book quality, even though it is live action, which I appreciate a lot. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there, there's something, the, the thing that reminded me of the movie is because when you brought up Katniss and differences in her character between the mediums, um, like, there are two really big instances of, of that in Scott Pilgrim, you know, the title character Scott and um, the love interest Ramona, which, you know, not to like produce her to that, but she is like, you know, her counterpart in the story. Um, and like Ramona in the books is much more sympathetic mm -hmm. because like you can, you learn so much more about her history, you learn more about why she's the kind of person she is in this exact moment in her life. Um, they have more time to like air out her issues and so a lot of the viewers um really like Ramona in the book but in the movies she comes off as very cold because you don't mm -hmm. have the time to like go through her backstory and it's it says the thing the same thing happens to Scott where Scott 
in the movie becomes very like a comedic character. And you know, he's just he's just a silly 20-something who doesn't have his life together yet. But in the books, you learn so much more about why he's like that and the fact that he even has like some kind of amnesia where he can't remember the bad things he does, so he never grows from them because he rejects them, right? Like, I don't do bad things. Uh. <laughs> I reject these things, so I don't grow. And in the books, you find out, you find it out much sooner than the movie where he just, you know, third act becomes mature and saves the day, which is kind of like a lot how a lot of movies treat their 20-something heroes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they get to a certain point and they go, oh, we got to wrap it up. We got to wrap it up, guys. Just do the climax. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if, even the original screenings, or the original idea for the movie had him not ending up with Ramona. He ended up with the, the tertiary character, his mm. other girlfriend. But uh, viewers hated that. They're like, well, he was fighting for Ramona the whole time. He should end up with Ramona. And so they changed it, you know, for theatrical release. Which is another weird topic where you let like your fans or viewers change the course of a story, which that's very mm-hmm. odd. I would say, at least I I don't think I'd ever let a reader kind of change how I would write a story because I mean it's my story, right? Like that's kind of why we yeah. do that. I think the only time I would do that is if they genuinely came up with an idea that I was like, oh man, I wish I'd thought of that. That's great. Like, can I, I want to use this. Can I use this? Like, <laughs> but if it was just say, well, I guess if they would make them happier, if I changed my story to this instead, then. No way. <laughs> I wouldn't like that. <laughs> no, never. You write your own story. This one's mine. <laughs> you do your own thing. It's, it's just, it's an interesting idea. Yeah, the fact that like comics have all these I wouldn't say weaknesses but aspects right every medium has some mm-hmm. aspects you have to like wrestle with and the one for comics that I think is really cool is that we kind of work in gutters so we work in, in like yeah. more, right? we work we work in panels and the moments in between and like it's almost like a series of it's like if you took a film right and you you, you, you took a picture of every like 50th frame instead of like the fluid motion we kind of have mm-hmm. to decide what's important and what and what we want the reader to imagine right and the, those yeah. spaces, those spaces in between our panels are much more are just as important as what we draw right and i think with your your comics comes off as very autobiographical was that was that like on purpose i mean is, is it really based on your own experience rather well it's funny because it, you know i made up a different character she's a different ethnicity that i am i'm not actually 35 and close but um not an architect all these other things but I was definitely at the time of writing this going through this kind of should I change careers or should I not like would I be happier being a barista than just you know doing what I'm doing now I don't know I don't know what to do um and so it was cathartic in a way to write this (laughs) the character made very different choices than I ended up making you know I'm still working in the same place um and I, I figured out some of the things that w- were going on with me were um, were from other issues that I was able to to fix, and so I'm in a much better place now. I'm happy to be able to say, um, but it was it was very much real thoughts that I was having at the time, just tweaked to be part of the story, which was it, it made it easier and harder. Easier just because once I thought, okay, I'm not going to do a, an action story about a pharaoh being killed because my my prompt was the death of an egyptian pharaoh 
Um, so of course the first thing I thought of was like, I don't know, Ramses from the Bible, that's kind of an epic death, <laughs> getting swallowed up by the Red Sea. And like, maybe there's some other pharaohs that I could, you know, write about, I could research some. I didn't want to end up having to do a lot of research though. Um, because we only having seven days, there's only so much time that I can spend doing that kind of a thing. So I thought, well, if I set it in a modern day setting, then I won't have to worry too much about making sure that all of the costumes and the places and things look incredibly historically accurate. So it saved me a lot of time. But of course, when I thought of that too, and I started reading just about the pharaohs just to tangentially see who I could put into this modern tale, um, I saw that Amenhotep had died when he was 35. And then I started thinking, like the character in my comic, like, man, he didn't have a whole lot of time on the earth. And he's done, you know, he ha has a whole Wikipedia page, you know, <laughs> talking about all his accomplishments and things. And, you know, what have I done? Like, if I, if I died at age 35, then what would they write about me on Wikipedia? <laughs> um, and uh, as I was thinking about that, I thought, well, that actually would be not, not a bad idea for the comic. And so it made it easier to know what to write about. But then it also made it a little harder because I just had so many thoughts about all of this, about you know, the, the nature of what people should do with their lives, how they should spend it, is having a job that makes you happy or a job that pays you well, mutually exclusive. And if not, what, what is it? What is this, you know, magical job that pays well and you really like super, super are stoked to do all the time? Does it exist? Is it a bad thing if it doesn't exist? Um, it's like all these, all these thoughts. Um, so it was a little hard to fit it into a short story just because there was so much, <laughs> so much that I wanted to say, but I think I stuck to the main points and it worked out. Yeah. You had asked me before about sort of the influences for my work. I'm kind of curious to know who art-wise has influenced you the most, do you think? And writing-wise, because- Oh, writing-wise. And I think that the writing shouldn't be forgotten here in our love of art. <laughs> no, that's definitely true. I think when it comes to comics, right, do you have to really merge both of them? Like a, a comic yeah. great, would be an absolute like bore to read it uh, or it doesn't affect you at all when you read it. And that's, no matter how good art it looks visually, you know, it's never gonna, it's never gonna inspire if it just looks kind of cool. So, I mean, when it comes to the way I draw, I, de I definitely, when I was younger, was into like superhero comics and like manga and anime because I was like kind of blowing up when I was a child, right? So I, I, I loved all that. And then as I got older, I learned more about like traditional drawing and other kinds of art forms, other kinds of illustration and kind of like, I think I've internalized all these different like ways or different stylized versions of drawing people to make like, you know, my unique if you can call that like my style, right? That's what all styles really are. And that's interesting because I, I, when I speak to my students, I used to, I used to teach middle schoolers. I teach my younger mm -hmm. children now, but I used to teach middle schoolers and middle school artists. And I'm sure you know this. I'm sure when you were a middle school artist, right? At some point, they're just they're insufferable. Right? <laughs> they're just always, <laughs> they're always they're always asking you questions that they don't need to worry about yet. Where it's like, well, how do I find my style? What am I going to be good at drawing? Well, how long does it take? Would you have any secrets you can teach me? And there there are no secrets to drawing. There there I mean, 
there are, there's good practices, right? I mean, you can definitely learn, but the secret to drawing is just to do it a lot. Yeah. Right? Just to, it's like, I forget who said this, but it's like, it's like, being a, it's like being a comedian. As long as you make it to old age, you'll be good at drawing. You'll be good at, you'll be good at being a comedian. <laughs> right? Because cause it just takes the mental fortitude to keep doing it. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's such a challenge. And art in general is just like this almost unforgiving thing you follow. Where it's like you want to do this thing. And a lot of times in your life, your eyes are bigger than your, bigger than your stomach and you can't do, you can't accomplish what you want to accomplish with your current skill set. And the, and the horrible part is that the better you get, you're always going to want to do more. And so you're almost always like chasing this next big thing. And so, um, and when I, when I look at like my style, it's just my, there's all these failures to be these people that I want to be like, but you know, they coalesce to become what I am. And then someone looks at my drawing, like my students are always like, I want to draw like you. And I'm like, well, you're never going to draw like me. That's not the point of drawing. You're going to draw like you. And if you might have some aspect of me inside the way you draw, but it'll always just be you at the end. It's always going to be just you. Um, and that's great. And that's the lovely thing about art and drawing in general is that no matter what you do, it's always you. Um, yeah. Right. And so I guess, I mean, so I, that's a long way to say I really liked anime when I was a kid. And so now I draw like <laughs> So um, did I. <laughs> it's so, it was so cool. I don't know. Yeah. And writing, I guess it's just, just a bunch of comics and a bunch of old sci-fi. I mean, when it comes to comics, and I think writing is weird when it comes to comics because a writer often also breaks down panels. Mm-hmm. And that's a really visual way to communicate a story. And so it's like almost not, I don't, it might not even be conducive to have a writer write down, write down panel breakdowns, I think, a lot of time. Yeah. Where, like you'll you'll look you'll see you'll look at like an Alan Moore script or something and he'll be like panel one and he'll write like a, a novella describing the first panel. It's like, oh uh, he looks into the distance, he's forlorn, he remembers the love of his life 20 years ago. Uh his left shoe is slightly untied. And you're like, really? <laughs> like I'm not gonna I can't do this. I cannot cooperate with you right now, Alan. Um <laughs> And that's weird to me because because you look at manga artists and you know there are often a lot of t- a lot of uh, collaborative work in manga right like there's a writer and artist in a lot of manga and oftentimes in that partnership the writer just writes like the story and then the manga art the, the artist half the team is like okay I will break this down into panels because I you know I'm the visual one I I understand what what is communicated what can be communicated in a panel's unit of storytelling right. Um, and I don't, I don't know if you have worked with a lot of writers in your past. Uh, have you? Yeah, I have. Um, there was a comic that we never ended up fully finishing, but a friend of mine has a story um, called Delta. Hmm. And she had me do the first several chapters of the story. Molly Doyle is her, is her creative name. She does um, mostly cosplay photography and like creative photography at this point. But she also comes up with like really interesting stories and we had played around with making like a short film when we were in college based off of this world and so after we graduated she hit me up one day and was asking you know what how would you feel about uh, drawing a comic and i had done a project in college for my um, senior thesis that was about making comics 
And I did do a chapter of a comic for that thesis, but it was mostly me writing about the medium of comics and how it's used as a storytelling medium. And then the comic was sort of a secondary thing just to sort of illustrate some of the points that I spoke about in the, the um, essay. So technically Delta was sort of the first time that I had, I had really dedicated myself to doing more than, you know, 10 pages of comic in a row. And um, it was interesting. She and I were and still are good friends. And so when she would write things down, she would give me some suggestions sometimes, but Mm -hmm. she came from a um, movie script, like live action writing side of things. And so she would write it down as if it was a movie script. And so she had a few vague directions. She would have sort of a scene opening description or like, this is what the room looks like that they're in. But then it was sort of up to me from there to figure out the angles and what are the characters doing while they're talking. And so that's the one experience that I have had working with somebody else. And I, I love working with her as like, as a creative partner, but scripts, even ones that I write myself, kind of drive me a little crazy and I think it's for the same reasons that I mentioned earlier where I tried to take it panel by panel and then I fit the dialogue into the panels and then I don't know how to fit those panels onto a page in a way that makes sense and so I think that and and this is something I'll have to figure out as I work on my I'm working on a graphic novel called Lamp Black that I'm writing and illustrating and so I I think I'm going to take what I learned from this challenge where I'm just going to look at a whole page and figure out what does the layout look like? How much of the story can I fit into this? How can I make it work? When I'm writing my own stories too, I, I thumbnail and write the dialogue at the same time because I can see it and hear it so much better in my head when I can like visualize the panels. Does that make sense? <laughs> it definitely does. Um, I'm, I'm writing, I, I too am working on a graphic novel called uh, yeah and it's uh, I, the way I'm, I'm tackling it is I'm writing it chapter by chapter in stages mm. like I'll write the dialogue and the script for one chapter all at once and I'll lay out all the entire chapter all at once and I'll you know I'll start I'll set to drawing and inking um, and you know I, I jump back and forth in that stage because I feel like you want to keep it interesting for yourself but like I don't want to do three yeah. months of drawing and three months of inking I want to do this like drawing today tomorrow some coloring here but yeah, I, I really force myself to sit down and write everything that happens because I know myself enough that if I don't, I'll end up in the weeds like later in the chapter and I'm just like, oh, I won't have, I'll need to add five more pages or I realize I forgot this plot point and you know, I'll just, oh, yeah. I'd rather just take, I'll, I'll dedicate days to just writing. I will just write today and like, I don't get to draw till I write. So yes. <laughs> uh, that's kind of what I'm doing, but I was asking about the writing because I was interested to know how you feel about working with writers. Like you said, you enjoyed working with your friend, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I've had experience. I mean, I've worked with a lot of writers in my in my time as a cartoonist because I I do a lot of freelance and I'll I'll look for people that want like there's because a lot of film directors, like you said, use comics as kind of like a proof of concept these days. Well, like they'll mm-hmm. do a chapter of like the first ten minutes of a movie and make it a comic, and so they can sell that to somebody and like okay, this is what I want. Right, and so and that's really fun, honestly, working with screenwriters. But they just they don't understand like the unit of a panel, right? Like that's such a precious little concept where it's like a panel represents one moment 
this one moment and it can and because it's like a drawing it can be kind of like metaphorical it can be ethereal it could do things that a real moment really can't have happen right but they they don't understand that there are limits to a panel also or like multiple plot points can't occur in a panel and even if they could it would it wouldn't serve your story well for it to do that because we'll be confused or like I had someone want, like, they described this crazy shot where it's like, oh, it's behind her back, but it's looking at his face. And you also see her face in the reflection in the window. And at the same time, you can tell that it's five o'clock in the afternoon, but also there's a mouse in the corner. And I was like, hold on, hold on, <laughs> wait, wait, no, no, no. That's not how this works. So it's, you need to give your story, like, breath and, like, yeah, air. It, it kind of goes back to the differences when you're adapting between storytelling mediums that we were talking about earlier. Um, film has the advantage of motion. And so you can move through a scene in such a different way than in a comic. Because when you're watching a movie, you're looking at, you're looking at one panel, you're looking at the screen, but then everything can move within that panel. Um, So the story is moving through time. Whereas on a comic page, you are physically moving your eyes over the space of the page. And so time is being shown through space. And like, you, you just can't do the same things with, with them. They're going to be two completely different ways of showing the story. And they could both do a great job telling the same story, but they would have to tell them in very different ways. Yeah, they're just intrinsically different. There's no way to... Um, and, and that's great because oftentimes when you try to make a film into a comic, you lose something and vice versa, you make a comic into a film, you lose something and it might mm-hmm. be better or worse, but it's, def- it's definitely different, right? Um, yeah. I do and- think the, the one thing that Molly and I had trouble understanding each other on is because she came from a filmmaking point of view, she wanted me to do things what, you know, like like trying to get a rack focus into a comic panel like can you can you show something closer and then fuzz out the things in the background and then the next panel fuzz out the things in the foreground and have the background in the focus and it can work if you do it right but that's not how my brain was thinking when I was thinking okay how would I show this scene in the comic and so it felt kind of awkward to me in some cases and I'd be like no no like push back can't do that like it's a film thing like I'm trying to do the comic thing and she'd be like but it would look so much cooler if you do it this way and I'm like well I don't know so we had to do a lot of compromising and figuring out how to even explain you know how to how to translate between the two mediums right (laughs) definitely I totally get what you're saying I was working with a writer not too long ago who like didn't understand that like panels represent moments like I'd leave a panel for like air like in this panel no one's talking and he'd be like why is no one talking or you were wasting space in the comments like no there's that moment matters because otherwise it feels like people are talking at each other all the time you need a moment for air like someone takes a pause in the conversation especially you can read like you can read a 20 page comic in like five minutes and you really want to you know so you want to force the reader to take a breath sometimes right Mm -hmm. Uh, but bringing back to the idea of like ra- a rack focus, right, and in a comic, like we don't, we maybe we can do that, right? But it's not, it's not the the strength of our medium. But we do have other strengths, right? Like transitions between panels are so powerful, like mm-hmm. a moment to moment transition, an aspect to aspect transition. Seeing like if you see taking picking a, a point in the background and zooming in on it, right? That's so powerful because the reader goes back to the previous panels, like oh wait, that was in this panel, I just didn't notice it. 
But yeah. now he wants me to really like just look at it. Like, look at this. Or knocking out the entire background, which is something I do all the time, where it's like, I don't want the reader to think about the background in this panel, nor do I want to draw the background in this panel. So I'm going and to it's imagine. so great that that works in comics, because as long as you understand where the character is in space, sometimes taking out the background can make you focus more on the character and it doesn't matter that you can't see the background you know but you're looking at the thing that's the most important right so you can leave a lot of blank space around them or do something kind of graphic or something like visually interesting that's not necessarily in the reality of, of what's happening in the story right right and, and then you were talking about like the sh even the shape of panels are important right like mm -hmm. all panels, just because the way we read right like people that read in English read left to right. So obviously if you want something to look like it's going fast, you make it go left to right. That's like a very simple trick, right? Like yeah. <laughs> long, tall panels versus wide panels. Like wide panels are more cinematic because they, re they remind us of movies and you have your eye has to go across the page and look at them, right? Mm -hmm. But then you look at tall, skinny panels where it's like, if you use a series of them, it becomes this very staccato rhythm where the reader has to constantly be switching focus. And these are things that I think a lot of comics readers understand inherently. A lot of comic writers need to understand to be good at writing. And people that don't read comics at all have no idea what they're talking. Like when you read a comic, I've seen like first time comic readers like not understand how to read a comic. I've had people tell me they don't know how to read comics and it's confusing. Like do the words happen at the same time as the images? Do they happen after or do the last moment in a panel? And these are questions I'd never even ask myself. Like, oh my, these are really good questions. Like, yeah, be, I've seen people who enjoy certain types of comics have trouble with other types of comics as well. It's like I've known people in my, say, my, my parents' age who really enjoyed things like Calvin and Hobbes. And Calvin and Hobbes, for the most part, stays with square and rectangular panels. And even in slightly longer, stories you still are kind of reading from left to right it's done in rows it's very neat uh -huh. um but then if you got somebody who was used to reading that and was like oh yeah yeah i love reading this, this type of comic looking at really high action manga or something like that you know they use triangular frames and the frames burst into each other and they like scatter all over the place and it looks so cool it took me, like, I still can't do that style of frame layout because it doesn't make yeah. sense when I'm putting it down. But then when I read it, I'm like, it's so effective and it works and I don't understand how to make it happen. But um, it is it is very different. Um, I think most of the, like, the European comics that I've read have also felt a little bit more regimented right. in that way. Like, it's a little bit easier to just sort of go, like, panel one, panel two, panel three. Um, I think manga is really the only, or like Japanese comics yeah. of, of the ones that I have seen that kind of really, really, really play with the panels to that degree. Yeah, manga, manga manhwa often like do that. Mm -hmm. They'll like mess with the shape of panels. They'll play a lot with like slanted panels or like yeah. panels that just don't, or like even like double page spreads are like kind of uh, almost a montage of moments, not even like panels. Mm -hmm. Interesting. But if you look at like the, I mean, yeah, have you read the work of Chris Ware? Swear. I don't think I have. He's an American cartoonist. I, th I, mean, I think, honestly, if I were to, have, if I were to, if I could make a bold claim, he's probably the best cartoonist alive right now, at least I think. Mm. <laughs> so, 
he plays with the medium in a way that I don't think anyone else has. Like, huh. you're talking about panels. Like, look at a, pa a page by Chris Ware, and then you'll then you, you're not, you'll need like uh, you'll need a few moments to like gather. Like, okay, this guy is really messing with uh, what you can read. Like, it, sometimes it goes in circles. Sometimes the panels are read in spirals. Um, like, it, uh, you know, it's just it's he's. He's he's working with the medium itself. Like his work kind of huh. his work is maudlin, very sad. Um, I would say. Like if you're reading it, the stories um by him, and they're very sad. They very rarely have a happy ending. But the way he writes them, the way he reads them, the way you're supposed to read them rather, it's just so it challenges you. You really need to like pay attention. And I I, I mean I gave I gave his work to a friend of mine who was a writer who had never read a comics. He thought they were like silly his whole life. And I was like, hey. I got a guy you should read. Trust me on this. Just read this one book. If you like it, you know, just just give it a chance. And he's like, all right, fine. I gave it to him. He read the whole thing in like a day. He loved it. He's like, oh man, like this is so good. Like I had to explain certain moments to him. Like he's like, why isn't this, why in this moment did this panel like look like this? But in the next panel, it wasn't, that didn't happen. What's going on? And I was like, well, dude, the narrator's unreliable at this point in the story. So you can't trust him. The panels are kind of false. And I was like this whole mm. moment where he was like, even as I saw him like his eyes open to comments in front of me. And I was like, yes. And he's oh, like, that's cool. <laughs> and I was like, that's great. And he was like, is there any more of this? Like, no, he's the best. I started doing the top. I'm sorry. <laughs> you have to, you know, now you have to deal with everyone else. Like there's no one like Chris Square, but there are a lot of people approaching like his work. So I'd give him, if you hadn't read his stuff, I'd give him a read. Definitely. Yeah, I'll look up more of his stuff. I was I googled his work while you were talking about that, and I I think I have seen it before, but I haven't really given it a really close look. Yeah, say, it's really interesting from what I can see so far. If I were to suggest one story for you to start on, it's be mm -hmm. Lint L I N T, mm -hmm. and it's the story of a man from the first moment of his life to the end of his life, and it's one small book. You can buy it for maybe like think fifteen bucks somewhere on like Amazon, maybe or a more reputable site and yeah. uh, <laughs> and um yeah it's just the first page is like this really abstract idea of like what a baby how the baby sees the world and like they don't there's not panels yet because time is not really a construct and huh. then like all the way to the end of the, his life and the last few pages are so hard to understand he's like an older man really interesting it makes you really like kind of think of what can i do with these panels and what can i do with the medium itself which is really interesting that's really cool I know that's something that I want to play with a little bit more in my comics, but I also feel like I haven't done enough volume of pages personally uh -huh. um, to have a like really, really strong grasp on just basic comics, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like I'm happy with what I do, but I want to I want it to be a little bit more second nature than it currently is before mm -hmm. I start really, really playing with it. Kind of like you know, you learn the rules and then you learn how to break the rules. <laughs> I'm still learning the rules. <laughs> oh, for sure. No, I, I totally get that. Yeah. You <laughs> want to know what you can do like normally, and then mm -hmm. you want to go crazy with it later, which is yeah. Perfectly fine. I think a lot of people jump to the crazy part too quickly and they don't. They don't have the fundamentals down yet, right? Um, oh yeah, and the fundamentals are so important to kind of understand the structure of whatever medium you're using before you start to play with it some more. Yeah, um, for sure. Everyone wants to be an abstract artist. No one wants to be like a boring 
uh, like portrait artists anymore. I was like, well, you got to know how to draw a nose if you want to abstract a nose. Yeah, that was one thing I found interesting when I went to um, when I went to college. I took a figure drawing class. I think my junior year, mm-hmm. and I, I wasn't super crazy surprised by the fact that it helped my cartoon figures to be better. But at the same time, I was kind of like, wow, I thought that in order to draw better cartoon characters, I should be drawing more cartoons and sort of, you know, copying from the masters, understanding the structure and things. And that's important to do, too. But I think, say, understanding um, human anatomy just helped me be able to draw a character out of my head and make them look so much like the structure. I understood the structure so much better. And then I was able to abstract that structure and turn that into, you know, different hand shapes, different face shapes. How do I make characters look different? You know, what does, even just things like, like the shape of someone's skull really impacts the way that their face looks. Right. And knowing that was so helpful for understanding how to make like different, very, very different types of characters. So if you're going back to, you know, the, the innocent childlike character, it might be more round and circle-like and you know, the evil wizard character might be more triangle-like or something using shape languages to come yeah. up with the character designs. But then having a little bit of a broader knowledge of like, well, say a pokey triangle-shaped wizard man who is evil might have a, a bone structure with like really, really sharp cheekbones or like the brows might come down a little farther or you know, how, how the structure works just kind of like clicked in my head so much better and it made it so much easier to come up with characters. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was a little mad that I hadn't, hadn't studied more of like the realism side of things earlier on. Yeah. Got to know the, the structure and the fundamentals of things for sure. Well, that's, that's so like, it's so true. It's a, it's a reality a lot of young artists don't want to accept where when I, when I teach my students how to draw, right, the, the big thing that they want to do is draw, like, their favorite artists, whether that mm-hmm. be a manga artist or, um, or like, any... I relate. Of, I understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really want to draw, like, the, the big manga artists they love, which is a big thing right now. Manga's always been big amongst the youth, right? But it's still it's still going strong 20 years later, thank goodness. But I, tell, I always tell them, like, you need to learn how to draw, like, from life. Drawing from life is, like, an artist's push-up like it makes you stronger in every single way because it makes you understand why things look the way they do even draw like a silly cartoon if if your comic is literally just like the silliest like like a carrot with feet and legs and they walk around telling you doing silly jokes that's that's it would help you know how to how real carrot looks like it would just really help and um like a lot of times a really distinct example that sticks out in my head is one of my students really loved um, Attack on Titan. He was like, I love mm-hmm. this manga. It's super cool. Like he loved the military imagery. And I was like, all right, fair enough. Like it, it's definitely a look. I totally understand why you're into it. Um, <laughs> and I was, and he was like, I want to draw just like, I want to draw a comic kind of like this. I'm like, that's great. Um, you sh-, And I gave him reference for like uniforms, like real uniforms from like history. These, yeah. are, these don't look like, you know, the ones from the manga. I was like, yeah, but the guy who draws Tiger Titan wasn't looking at other manga. He was looking at history. Yes, if you, yes. If you take from him, it's like you're second-handing something. It's not, it's less of you and it's more of him. You need to draw from life so that the thing you draw is a lot of you. And yes, it can be inspired by him, but you need to be more you. And like a lot of kids don't get that because they want to draw just like their favorite artist. 
But if you really give those like fundamentals down and like, hey, draw from life, draw from life. By the time they're our age, they're going to be masters. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so it's all and you know, too, that those manga artists can draw like really good realistic drawings. Yeah, they just course. are drawing in a manga style because that's the style that's, that's popular or the one that they enjoy doing the most. Like it, it works for them, but you'd be... Yeah got to know the structure of things or it's not going to turn out the way you think it will <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a big secret to like that's the biggest secret to art i think is like draw what you like to draw and if you can't do that cheat so that you can draw what you like to draw just cheat <laughs> for these I, I always tell my students three clear examples one the guy who draws naruto likes drawing toes yes that's weird but all the ninjas wear sandals open coat sandals he likes drawing toes. That's all. <laughs> he never explains it. He just says they wear open toe sandals. He likes drawing toes. The guy who draws bleach loves fashion. That's why every chapter, every character has a new outfit. And the guy who draws Dragon Ball Z hates drawing cars, probably, because all his cars look like spaceships. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> draw what you want to draw and figure out a way to cheat the world so that you can only draw what you like to draw. If you don't like drawing horses, make write a story where all the horses went extinct 100 years ago. And there are no pictures of horses. Horse imagery has been outlawed. Just draw whatever you like. That's all that matters. <laughs> um, and if you can do that, you can make it through a, a hundred-page graphic novel, easy as pie. <laughs> oh yeah, there's definitely a balance between drilling yourself to learn the things, like learn the structure and the foundational things that you need to, but then picking things that you're passionate about, and then using that subject matter to kind of drive your style and your knowledge of art and writing forward. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a good balance to do, be able to do both. Appreciate what you like, but also know that there's a lot of hard work and maybe some blood and tears behind it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that, for sure. Well, thanks, Hannah. It was really great talking to you today. Um, honestly, it was the Platform Commerce Challenge was really fun. And uh Having uh, having a uh, nice conversation with another like fellow artist and talking shop for a bit is always a pleasure, especially with someone with you know the work that you have. Which you say you're kind of still learning the fundamentals, but I think you've kind of got them down pat at this point. So um, thanks again. <laughs> I hope we can talk again soon. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. You're totally right. It's such a fun time to talk to other artists about a craft, and I love that working on a challenge like this kind of gives me the opportunity to to see what other people are creating and uh, I know just after seeing a few pages of your comic I am madly curious to know what happens to these characters <laughs> so I need to see more of it soon <laughs> thanks thank you to Hana and Chris for joining us for this discussion Hana's work can be found at studiohana.com and Chris's work can be found at chrisgomezart.com. Chris is also on Instagram at chrisgomezart, and both comics they talked about in this episode can be read for free at platformcomics.com, and I'll include all those links in the episode description. Special thanks to Matt Campbell for composing our music, and Patrick Hart for designing our logo. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creators on Comics Podcast. <laughs>